0: At the end of the day, though, um, and I use this example a lot, it doesn't really matter why, mm-hmm. because it doesn't change the fact that it hurt. I think we do get invested in why people do what they do and why people turn on us or stop coming around or you know stop helping out. As if we, if we could answer that question, it would make us hurt less. But there's not an answer to that question or an explanation that's going to make it hurt less.
1: Did you finally realize your dream of having a family only to have your happily ever after turn into a nightmare? Do you find yourself up late at night wondering why nothing you try as a parent is working? Are you searching for adoption resources and a support team but can't find any? Hi neighbor, welcome to Anchors of Encouragement. I'm Tim Maudlin, husband, adoptive parent, Bible class teacher, and ambassador of encouragement. I too felt the joy of having a family of my own. I wished we could be like other adoptive families. I knew we were doing our best, but nothing seemed to work. I kept asking myself, why is this happening to us? Life can be tough. Storms in life are inevitable. In Anchors of Encouragement, my mission is to throw adoptive parents a lifeline and be your anchor to offer Biblical mindset support and provide stability when life gets unstable. If you're ready for real and raw talk that leads to peace beyond comprehension so you not only survive but thrive in life's storms, this podcast is for you. Hope and healing are on the way. Hi neighbor, I want to welcome you to another episode of Anchors of Encouragement. Today I'm excited to bring to you a conversation I recently had with a friend of the show and a personal friend of my family, Jane Baker. Jane was originally on the podcast in Episodes 8 and 9. If you haven't listened to those episodes yet, I would encourage you to. Jane helped us to understand what adoption trauma is. I'll include a link to those episodes in the show notes. Jane was one of the individuals responsible for helping my son Johnny Navigate the challenges of his adoption trauma while he was in residential. Adoption trauma is very difficult, not only for the adopted child, but the adoptive family. Unfortunately, there can be other challenges too because of the adoption trauma. That's what Jane is going to talk with us about today. It's something she sees in her practice. It's something that I have experienced myself. The topic for today is when friends fail you. Let's get to my conversation with Jane Baker. I want to welcome back my neighbor from Alabama, Jane Baker. Jane was a member of the treatment team when my son Johnny was in residential. She was instrumental in helping him understand and navigate his own adoption trauma. She has since become a friend of the family. Jane was on this podcast early on. I would encourage you to go back and listen to episodes eight and nine. They were actually one interview, but I broke it up into two episodes. I'll include the links to those particular episodes in the show notes. There's much you can learn from those episodes. There's going to be a lot you can learn from our conversation today. Janie, it's been way too long. I want to welcome you back to the show.
0: Thank you for having me back. I really, really appreciate it. And what a nice compliment, friend of the family. Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. Thank you well,
1: for that. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, I sincerely mean it because when we met you we were going through a really dark period of our family yes you were and you helped us come on come to the other side of that and even to this day you know listen to some of the things you've uh, said on the podcast and remembering some of the things you told us at the time have helped us to navigate the challenges that we've uh, we've experienced and even even though we're I think it's almost five plus years removed from when he was in residential. There are still things that uh, we remember and take to heart and use on a daily basis as we navigate this still. So again, I I thank you so much for that. We were messaging back and forth prior to this episode to think of some topics to talk about today. And I want to talk about a topic, not topics. I think it's good to just kind of hone in on one thing. But you listed some things that you've been dealing with lately, and I think there's four different things, and one of them really struck a nerve with me because I've lived it, and you deal with it with the adoptive parents that you counsel, and that topic is when friends fail you. As we get started into this conversation, can you talk a little bit about that? I've mentioned it somewhat on the show When friends have failed me, but tell me about these adopted parents that come to you and they tell you about friends failing them. And you know what is that? What's that look like? And then we can talk about how you counsel them for it.
0: Sure. Um, Unfortunately, it's it's all too uh, common an an occurrence. Uh, Some of that has to do with the nature of uh, and the intensity level of uh, children that we adopt that have disorders of attachment. They have a really hard time, uh, emotionally connecting, uh, to the family. And so when, when you, you know, have a child with this kind of, uh, loss and a lot of our children, um, have orphanage experience or they've got foster care experience, but we can't skip over as well, just sort of the nature of the traumatic separation, um, even in infant adoption and we can't quantify how kids start to internalize that um as as they develop but typically speaking our um children with a, a real you know trauma base have such a hard time creating relationships and they have uh much harder time uh allowing themselves to be loved and nurtured and guided and redirected By parents. So very often these children look better outside the home. Sometimes they'll look better at school. Sometimes they'll look better at church. Everybody just falls in love with them. They've kind of got this superficial charm. And then they come home and they're very, very different at home. Constant, constant rejection, uh, of parental authority, uh, particularly targeting mothers, uh, over, uh, fathers and, you know, splitting, uh, parental, uh, relationships are really quite common so in that process and then sometimes we have kids that are not attachment based but they've got other problems that they just have difficulty everywhere whether that's in school or you know at at church or even even at home it tends to be a little bit more intense at home what happens over time a lot of time is that everybody who knows and loves you and cares about you well-meaning but somewhat uninformed on um how come kids do what they do um, but they're pretty well informed and free with advice on what you should do and everything that you've if you've got biological children and you've parented before you've uh, you have one of these children uh, and I always think they're kind of a they're a blessing there's a reason you got them but everybody likes to give advice and then over time They get frustrated or whatever with things aren't getting better. You're not getting better. Things are, um, you know, sort of continuing to be very intense. And also along the way, we as parents uh, start to become somebody we don't recognize. Um, And the road we're walking is very, very difficult. So very often we have people in our lives that think of uh, simple answers to complex problems Um, Sometimes, too, we have kids that misbehave at our friends' houses and they start making decisions about, hey, your kid can't come over and play with my kid anymore because this is what happened and that's what happened. And uh, then sometimes, too, we have families where a child is making false allegations. And so now DHR is involved. And so now everybody's looking at you like you've done something really wrong and so it really, the process can really create such division and separation between the people that we've always thought of as our our friends and support network. And I've certainly with some families even had that extend over into the church where church leadership now gets involved and uh, starts to look at the parents as they are the problem. And so it's been my experience as a therapist in private practice that all too often uh, families come uh by the time they get to, to me or someone like me, they've been through the mental health uh system where uh well-meaning but sometimes uninformed uh therapists uh point the finger at parents, uh friends are starting to point the finger at parents. Um I've even had some parents where their parents, the grandparents, Shows the child over the the parents, and so there's just a lot of loss in those relationships, all the way you know all the way around, and it's a it's a huge uh, grieving process because it is a very important and loss. It's a very important hurt.
1: I just say a minute because I, as I said, I've lived this. Um, the The thing that was interesting about both of our adoptions. And I'm really speaking more to Johnny's right now, but people were so excited for us when we adopted him. We had gone through years of infertility and we had gotten to the point where we just internalized this and just a very few people were aware that we were pursuing adoption. And once the adoption was to the point where the birth mother signed the papers, I called my mom and says, now you can tell people. Because mm-hmm. we had been had so many disappointments, we just were hesitant to say anything. But once we let it be known, I remember one family said they just cheered because right. they were so happy for us. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, as time went on and some of these challenges started to present themselves, we were getting, like you said, we were getting advice from different people. We suddenly didn't know anything about anything especially <laughs> parenting <laughs> and and it was just it was so frustrating and I've I've said this on the podcast and I want to repeat it here again we had people pull away from us mm-hmm. but we had people pull closer and draw closer to us and I tell you to this day those are our anchors of encouragement and I they were sends because had we not had those individuals in our life I don't know what would have happened. I mean, I, I'm, I'm certain that we would have relied more and more on God, but having those individuals had really helped us to, to navigate these challenges, but it over time, it was really hurtful to, to see people. And I, I'm thinking of one individual now. She told me, she said, I saw people drawing away from you, pulling back. Mm-hmm. And that's when she said, I'm getting closer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she wanted to get messy with us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, just yeah,
0: that's the people you can count on. And, and those are just people that you just, there's just no value you can put on how important that relationship is.
1: Well, and that's when we met you and the treatment team in residential to yeah. a person you were, you were there. And that wasn't an easy job that was something you had to do because you, you love these kids. You wanted something better for them.
0: No, I do. I question, sometimes I question my sanity. Um, but I, <laughs> I love these kids and this, I love this this group of children who's just really had such a rough and bumpy start. And, um, and they're just walking around so afraid of everything and everybody. And um, even though they'll rather die than let you know, they're afraid. Mm-hmm. So I I don't I don't know what it is, but I do I love this population of of kids. So We're and not... and parents because I think it yeah. really takes special people to want to adopt in the first place. And I think one of the things you said that's so important nobody comes to adoption because you're hesitant. Nobody comes to adoption for any other reason than you you know you want to love a child and you want to be a parent or you want to you know uh, share what you have with another. With another child, especially if you've got other children at home, everybody gets behind you in the adoption process, or a lot of people do, and everybody's excited. And then (laughs) when the reality sets in, and it's not, it's not, and a lot of adopted kids, and these are stories we don't hear about, a lot of adopted children really make that transition into a family really well, you know. um, and that's the piece we can't quantify or predict is when a child's going to adapt uh, nicely and when they're not. And um, I've had families where they've adopted kids from uh, orphanages and and adopted across racial lines. And they have one child who's heavily involved, you know, with making connections with birth family or orphanage mates who've been adopted by other people close by and this, that, and the other... And um, and sometimes they struggle with that. And then I've had others that they adopt come in and go, "Would you stop talking about all this adoption stuff?" And I know who my parents are, and they're right here in this room. That's my mother. <laughs> and that's my father. And I don't know what your problem is, but I want you to stop talking to me about. It. You know, and so you're like, okay,
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> and i think we watch a lot of uh, movies where there are good adoption stories and things like that and so we want to kind of get it's very seductive to start mm-hmm. making ourselves think that this is how it's going to work out for us too and sometimes it does um but sometimes it doesn't and often people aren't prepared for that
1: right and we thought we were prepared we had a yeah. we had a, a wonderful lady that went walked us through our home study mm-hmm. uh, and she was just getting ready to retire. She had been doing it for 35 years and we were her last case. Oh, And she was just an angel. And we thought we knew what we needed to know and we were ready to navigate because we knew there were going to be challenges. But mm-hmm. at that time, at least in our sphere, adoption trauma wasn't even mentioned. And mm-hmm. so that was something that just blindsided us. And we had to figure out well, we tried to figure out for years what was going on and we went through different processes and asked mm-hmm. other parents, asked experts, you know, tried to get mm-hmm. counseling. And then it finally came to a head and we met you and the other team at, in residential. And then we started to understand, oh, this is something, had we known back then, mm-hmm. we know now we would have done things differently. Mm-hmm. But we were doing the best things we knew to do at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it just, it just worked out. And I've said this too on the podcast, I want to, emphasize this again. We had some difficult challenges that were presented to us, but in hindsight, looking back, we would do it all over again. Mm -hmm. We would do it all over again, and I do not want to discourage adoption by any means. I want to encourage adoption, but I want to encourage adoption with the adoptive parents having their eyes wide open, understanding potential challenges and how to navigate them. That's why we're having discussions like this.
0: And I I fully agree. I mean, adoption is a wonderful thing. We've been doing it since God made people. And um, there's nothing second place about adoption. It's not plan B. There's nothing unusual about adoption. It's just different. And our biological children can present us with challenges that we never thought we would have to uh, parent. And the same thing is true in the world of adoption, but the thing that's different between our biologicals and adopted children is that nature of loss. And that somewhere there's a, I I know someone um, referred to it um, in some professional literature before as ghosts in the nursery. There is that specter of the birth family. And why did uh, they, you know, place me for adoption? Why did they, why didn't they keep me? And that's not a piece that our biological children have to navigate, so it is important entering into adoption that you are um as educated as possible. but at the end of the day, it's theory till you do it
1: oh yeah, <laughs> you know
0: it's just like <laughs> it's just like with our with our biological children i mean you i i don't I don't know how many times I've had to. Uh walk myself back because I remember saying, You know well, my kids will never do, or this is the kind of parent I'm going to be. I'm not going to do that, this, that and this that new, and then you have them, and it's not theory anymore
1: no, <laughs> and it's we not. just
0: <laughs> figure out the best way we can with what we know and um realize that sometimes the Lord hands us children that uh I've always said you might not always get the child that you want, but the Lord's going to make sure you get the child that you need. Right. and that needs you and so mm-hmm. sometimes our need is for more education
1: <laughs> yeah
0: I need to go learn to do something different because what I've been used to do it's not working
1: right I, I don't think I've shared and I'm not going to take the time to go into it now but just suffice it to say looking back on our two adoptions God's hand was involved in this otherwise we wouldn't have gotten them because mm-hmm. there were things that happened that They should have. They had fallen through, or were about to fall through, or we jumped to the top of the list. Just things that he had to be involved in. So we have always said, "You were meant to be in this family," and you know we're grateful for that. The challenges, you know, has have caused us to understand we need to rely more on God to help us process and navigate these challenges. But also, we need to to reach out to people like you to help us along this path because you know again we just don't know what we don't know and so right. it's it's helpful to to understand these things one of the things we were talking back and forth as we were messaging about this topic is i've posed this question well why do why do our friends fail us why do they they pull back why do they walk away there's a number of things and maybe if you want to speak to something like that sure. some of those ideas you can but then i've got one question i really want to hone in on Okay. This so go ahead and okay. take that one.
0: Well, I, I think sometimes our, our friends back out of our lives, um, because they just don't know how to help us. Sometimes we don't know how to help ourselves when we're in the middle of all of this stuff. And sometimes people are so uncomfortable with, um, another person's pain or, uh, um, or what they're going through and they don't know how to help. And so, so they just don't. You know sometimes what we're going through or what our children are doing, or everything might uh remind them of some of their own past or their own struggles, their own grief that they don't want to touch and sometimes people are so secure in the way they do life that they're unable to assimilate new information or unable to get the to have an idea that what you've always thought may not work so they default to there's got to be something wrong with you well you're just not doing it right well you're not working hard enough and so sometimes people are real real secure in uh, the way they do life and to some extent have not ever been challenged in the same way that uh, you are being challenged and so they have all kinds of opinions about that and often are very free to share those things um not only just with you but with everybody. Yeah. And so, you know, so there's that. And um and sometimes people have more influence than they maybe need to have. And so, you know, sometimes people just don't know what to do or they don't know how to help you. And uh they don't want to get in the middle of something. And um I'm thinking more specifically about the individuals that I've had where their churches and leadership got involved because of somebody who was very secure in uh, their position about how you parent. And um, there's a a lot of reasons. And uh, sometimes the only people who know for sure is that person themselves. At the end of the day, though, um, and I use this example a lot, it doesn't really matter why.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because it doesn't change the fact that it hurt. I think we do get invested in why people do what they do. And why people turn on us or stop coming around or you know stop helping out? As if we if we could answer that question, it would make us hurt less. But there's not an answer to that question or an explanation that's going to make it hurt less. Um, mm-hmm. If I hit you with my car out here in the driveway and I break both of your legs and I've just handed you a big old hurt, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I did that on purpose or by accident. If I get out of the car and I apologize and I call the ambulance and I pay your medical bills and I take you to rehab and as you're learning to walk again and all this stuff, and I do all these things, you're just going to feel better about me um, versus, and she just drove off. (laughs) But not one bit of that is going to have anything to do with how fast you heal because I've handed you a hurt and it now becomes yours and you have to do the healing so sometimes we get an explanation and it makes sense and we feel better about that person but at the end of the day it's our responsibility to you know heal our own woundedness and and nobody can really take and no explanation is going to make that better
1: you know i was thinking as you're you were saying that you know we can't no, for certain motives unless they tell us right and it's it's really pointless and it's it's damaging to yourself if you try to figure out well why are they doing this to me and really that's that's not the point you know i'm thinking of when jesus was suffering and i don't don't get me wrong i don't do not want to equate anything i've gone through with, with what he went through mm-hmm. but there's a verse in in uh, first peter that said he did not retaliate when he was insulted. It's been tempting to say, okay, you just don't understand what we're going through. Well, they don't, mm-hmm. but it, they don't. there's no, there's no point in retaliating. That's not going to help, help the situation. And maybe on you know future episodes and what I've been trying to do prior to this is try to educate people, non-adoptive parents as to what's going on so that they can understand. We'll leave that discussion for another time as we uh-huh. continue to build on this. But you're right, we have to, to deal with this on our own, even when we've been hurt. And so that was a good segue to what I really want to dig in on as we uh, wrap this episode up. And this is our will be our daily doable. How have you counseled adoptive parents when they told you their friends had failed them? I mean, you, you don't go out and try to deal with the, the, the friends who have failed you. But how do you deal with it yourself? How have you counseled those individuals?
0: Just sort of in a in a in a context when people hurt us and and that is a sense of betrayal I mean when you think that somebody's your friend and then they turn out not to be and they actually go working start working against you that's a that's a sense of that's betrayal it's not even a sense of betrayal it is betrayal. Let me just be clear where we end up needing to go with that is some level of forgiveness so part of Forgiveness is, um, and we get a lot of mixed messages about what forgiveness is and what it's not. And Jesus tells a story of uh, a rich man who uh, goes away. He's going away on a long journey. And in those days, business trips took a long time and leaves everything in the hands of his chief steward, including his family. So there's his business, his finances, his family, everything that's important to him. He leaves it in the hands of this person who's the most trusted uh, position you could have other than being family yourself, and he comes back and he realizes, hey, you know what? This man has taken. He does an inventory because that's what all responsible people do, and he says, oh, he's taken more money from me than he can pay in a lifetime. Okay, there's the hurt, there's the inventory, and sometimes we have to do that, not necessarily in that order. But when somebody betrays us, they take something from us. When someone hurts us or they fail us. It's a loss, and they've taken something from us. Part of the beginnings for forgiveness is the telling of the story, the taking of the inventory. What got taken? How do I feel about not just what got taken, but the person? How do I feel? And going back to the story that Jesus tells, I love the King James Version because I just love that language. But it says, he was wroth. Which is an archaic word, but it means he was angry on a cellular level. There was not one piece of him that wasn't mad.
1: <laughs>
0: and he had all of his feelings. And I'm pretty sure he expressed all of his feelings. Because it's somewhere along the way, because then what we want next is we often want justice. Well, I want my stuff back. Or I want you to make it right. Right. I want you to apologize. I want you to make me feel better about what you just did to me. We want justice, restoration. And so he, within the parameters of the law, he said, go get him. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase because he said, go get him. Go get his wife and his kids, little dog too. Get them all. Put them in debtor's prison where they will stay for the rest of their lives. Okay. Now I think I might feel better. So when we've been hurt and something has been taken from us, We have to know what that is. And so for me, when I start working with people, it's tell me the story. Tell me what happened. Because when we put words to it, we organize our thoughts, we organize our feelings, and we validate just in the telling of the story. We validate that. Now, as a therapist, I'm looking in that story for what the hurts are and is there any possibility that this person's emotional responses are more intense than what the um, situation is calling for, because that would be an indicator that something about this is touching earlier losses. When we experience one betrayal, it often reminds us of others. When one hurt, one disappointment, uh, one sense of being uh, abandoned, emotionally abandoned, can often uh, leap back to earlier losses, and then it all gets wadded up together. So as a therapist, that's kind of some of the pieces that I'm I'm listening for, because we have to untangle that in order to get to that place of healing and forgiveness. So telling of the story is very uh, important. Also being able to express your feelings. And often when people hurt us, we want to pretend like it doesn't matter. And we want to say, well, okay, it's not a big deal. <clears throat> well, other people have been hurt worse. But being able to stay in that position where you make it about you and you do validate that this is a, this hurts, that also makes it real and real things we can work through. So going back to the, the idea of forgiveness and Jesus' story, So somewhere along the way, this man hears of his fate, and he comes, and he's begging and pleading, and we're not told what he said, and I'm really kind of grateful that we're not, because we would uh, get all seven kinds of legalistic around that, probably, because the point of the story is that in the middle of all of this, somewhere in this process of this person begging, and you can imagine what he's begging for, you know, forgiveness, second chance, I didn't mean it, lots of excuses, you know, you can just put in that bucket whatever you need to put there. But somewhere along the way, the scripture says this man had compassion and he forgave the debt. Forgiveness means to set something aside. So while we might not be able, when I ask God to forgive me, I don't want him to set me aside. I want him to set aside what I owe because of my weaknesses and the things I've done. So here in this particular story, there is the key toward forgiveness. I'm going to tear up this idea that you owe me something. That you need to make it right. Because I think that's where we get really very stuck a lot of times. And we don't allow our own healing to take place because we're waiting for this other person to come and make it right. And getting to that realization that I have been hurt. And I have been abandoned and I have been betrayed but I can be okay even if they don't make it up to me I can still be compassionate toward them which is not empathy it's not sympathy it's compassion in my mind is about when somebody's done something and it reminds me of my own failings of my own weaknesses of other times when I've I've maybe uh, failed other people And out of that, I can have compassion for that person. But it's not saying what they did was okay. It's not denying the hurt. It's just going, I understand how people fail. And I can be okay. I will be okay. Even if we never are able to patch this up. If they never come back and apologize, I can be okay. I can tear up the debt. So if they do come back at some point and say, I'm so sorry, I realized what I did. I'm so sorry. That would be a gift, but not a a prerequisite for healing. So in in therapy, when we're dealing with this, it's so important to have people around you, whether it's in therapy or it's your friend group, that let you tell the story. And they're doing that without judgment. They're doing that without choosing upsides and going to war on your behalf and all they just listen and they let you do the grief work mm-hmm. and they support you through all that. And they're the people, the voice in your ear going, well, you know what? You, are you're, you're going to be okay. You're okay. It's so sad that this happened and I hate that this happened for you, you know, but we are and more than our losses. And these are the people who say to you, how can I help? What do you need? And most of the time we don't know. But they, you know they go, well, I'm just here. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit with you, or I'm just going to listen to you, or I'm just going to, you know, be there for you. That's kind of allows that grief process to to happen in a real genuine way, rather than what we sometimes do is try to pretend that things are okay, you know, when it's not. And I, I always think about uh, one of my little, one of my children, and something would, you know, I go, that's it. You need to go to your room. I want you to go to your room. I need a minute, and you need a minute. (laughs) Go, and they'd look at me and toss that head. Go. Well, I wanted to go to my room anyway, (laughs) right? (laughs) So sometimes we're pretty good at pretending that we're not hurt or -hmm. not upset when you know we really are, and just being able to work through that grief process is not—it's not always easy to do.
1: Those are excellent points. And the one thing I'm thinking as you were talking about those, you know, this doesn't happen overnight. No, Uh, It's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. But if you can start to, as you said, tell your story and find people who will listen. The one thing I doubt that this is the case, but I would imagine there's someone or some people in your life you could do this with. But. Even if you can't think of any, you can always do this to God, and He wants you to to be real and raw with Him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What I'm hearing is this is a, a form of lamenting that yes. you're you're just really expressing, you know, the the rawest of emotions that you're you're facing. But as you're doing this, there's a cathartic and a healing that's taking place. And so, I really appreciate you, you know, walking us through this process because this can begin the hope and healing, you know, that's what this podcast is about is providing hope and healing for adoptive parents. And so this has been great for, uh, our audience to listen to and, and start to apply in their lives. So uh, I want to thank you so much for, for being here today.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for asking me and I, and I hope it'll be, you know, helpful. It's a, it's like, we're just kind of hitting the, the tip of the iceberg, but that's a good place to start.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's a good, uh, Indicator, we need to come back and do this more often, and it's been way too many episodes since you were on here last, and I want to rectify that and have you more on a more regular basis, and we can start to, you know, dig into specific topics and and really flesh them out, and so let's plan that for the future.
0: Always be available for you. (laughs) I appreciate
1: that. How can people, if they want to connect with you, and I know you have a practice of your own how can they they reach you and i'll put this in the show notes but just tell us briefly how they can contact you
0: i am uh, located in Priceville, uh, priceful alabama just out uh, well actually it's we've been incorporated into decatur mm-hmm. um so my email address is uh the letter j j baker at adoption hyphen associates.com we do have a, a website that we're still we're still expanding um, but it's adoption and psychotherapy associates is the name of our business, but the website is um, adoption uh, com And it has that little hyphen mm-hmm. in there. So, um, and there's a way on there. You can also contact us and um, that would be a way that, you know, people can get, in, in, send messages to me or, you know, allow me to uh, maybe uh, help out as, as best I can. We run into a little bit of problem as far as doing therapy across state lines. So, often people are close enough that they can travel to Alabama, but, you know, sometimes we can do a little bit of consulting and different things, or maybe I can help you locate a therapist uh, close by to you and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and things like that as well. Cause uh, there are more and more people who are uh, much more trauma informed than they used to be. And uh, we're just, you know, we're really grateful for all the hands that are professional people that are, you know, have a love for these kids and families and, and uh, try to make life as, better as as best they can.
1: I will put the, the links, make sure I include the hyphen in the show notes so that everybody can just click on that and take it to the website and you can, can co- contact Jane. Again, thank you so much for being on here with us today, Jane. I appreciate uh, your love for these kids and for adoptive parents like myself. Uh, you have been a godsend to us. So thanks again.
0: Well, Thank you for that. And I really, really appreciate you having me back. And like I said, I'll be available to you anytime, uh, anytime you need me. Perfect. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: I'm so glad to have had Jane back on the show. She is such a wealth of information and encouragement. Here are some of the takeaways. Number one, friends can pull away from adoptive parents for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's because they just don't know how to help. Sometimes they are uncomfortable with your pain. And sometimes your situation reminds them of their own past struggles and grief. Number two. Regardless, if a friend hurts you and never apologizes, you can still be okay. You can forgive them as part of your healing and move on. Apologies are not a prerequisite for your healing. And number three telling your story is part of your healing process. Find an anchor, whether a therapist or a friend, who will let you tell your story without judgment or taking sides. They will sit with you, be there for you, and listen. That's all for this episode. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now. If this podcast has given you the courage and confidence to face storms in your life, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me at Tim Maudlin. You can also connect with me in my Facebook group, Anchors of Encouragement. So until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now.